When I was a kid, we had this memory game that we used to play. And even in youth groups, I don't know if you remember it, but it was this memory train game. And one person would start out and they would say, you know, I'm going on a vacation and I'm pack packing my suitcase and I'm bringing whatever item. And then the next person would have to repeat that item and add one and the next person repeat that item. And, and so the longer you went, the harder it was. And it, it, just, it just continued to build onto itself. And the object of the game at the time, obviously, was you know, if you forgot an item or if you didn't get the order right, you were out until there was only one person standing. And so that one with the greatest memory won. Um, I was thinking about this game this week as I was looking at the, the verses that are before us today in 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter, uh, not that scripture as a whole doesn't do this, but it, it really seems to be a build upon what was said before it type of work. Peter says something and then says, in light of that something, something else. And in light of that something, something else. And in light of all those things, now this. And so this morning, I want to approach the text a little different than I normally do. We're, we're going to actually go through this whole thing verse by verse by verse. Because the text is so rich and so nuanced. And every last little bit has, is just dripping with Meaning, And so as we seek to look at, at love this morning, um, I want to have us turn to the book of 1 Peter, and it is chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 17. So if you have your Bibles at home, read along. It'll be on the screen for you. Always good to have a Bible open so that you can jump around and that you're not relying on what I put in front of you on the screen. Um, so let, let's take a look at the text this morning, and then we'll get started. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into the salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his 
marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put, silence, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's a lot there. Before this week, as we started um, with, with our series of Stand Firm, and this is the, kind of the guiding words for this whole series of Lent. Last week, Paul talked about standing firm in hope. And the beginning of 1 Peter lays out this hope. Peter starts by giving us the gospel hope that we have, number one, and then he calls us to embrace that hope and live these lives that are surrendered to God's holiness. That's the foundation of where we're going to go today. Before we talk about what today's passage is about, we have to understand the very beginning, Peter starts with, there is a hope. It is the gospel. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, we can stand firm in the world in which we find ourselves today because regardless of what happens, we have this hope. We have to remind ourselves of that and start there. Today's text begins to flesh out what the results of that is. So because we have this hope, great, what now? What does it mean? What do we do with it? These sets of verses today flesh out this natural progression of what happens when we come under the reign of Christ. And so let's look at these verse by verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The purifying of souls is talking about sanctification. We could say it's talking about salvation, but it, the, the actor, the actor in that beginning, in that 22a, is us. Having purified your souls. It doesn't say having your souls purified. Having purified your souls signifies that we are the ones that have, have somehow done that. And part of it is because this isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about growth in Christ. Having grown in Christ... Now, by your obedience to the truth, having grown in Christ since your salvation that was found in him. So what Peter's saying, having continuously grown up, become more like Christ because of the original salvation that you had nothing to do with, right? for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The for here in a sincere, for a sincere, is not because of, but it's a result phrase. That for there signifies result. So what he's saying is, having been more Christ-like, the result of that is the brotherly love that you now see. 
If we as people of God come to know him and we start to grow in him, the natural result is that we will start to have a brotherly love. Now don't take that there to mean that sisters don't get love. It's a brotherly and a sisterly love. But the implication is, and hopefully as you're part of this church you feel this, as we grow in Christ, because he has saved us, because we have put our faith in obedience to his truth, naturally we start to see a certain degree of brotherly love among one another. I see that every day in this church as people seek to care for one another and spend time with one another and have joy being with one another. One of the things our team that is in this room, everybody who is behind this camera right now, laments every morning is that there are brothers and sisters not sitting with us. We're excited that there's just a few of us, maybe eight of us in this room, who have to make all the things work. But we wish there were more. We want to be together. We spend time together. We want to eat meals together. We want to commune. We have a love for one another. Then it says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is the most basic... Greek phrase. This is one of these things where the Greek words, they have more things, more ways to explain single words in our language. And so many of you probably know this. The word for love that we have is a whole bunch of different optional words in Greek. There's different types of love. So the love for ice cream is different than the love I have for my wife. We only have one word because English is lame. Greek has many. The first time he says brotherly love, it is exactly that. It is a it is a lower-key brotherly love, an affection, a care for one another, like you might care for a friend. The second love in love one another earnestly from a pure heart is an agapo type of love. It is a very different, it is a deeper love. And so here's what Peter's saying. Having grown in Christ and continuing to do so, started by the fact that you obeyed the truth of the gospel, came to know Jesus, you're shaped, you're molded, you're changed, you're growing. Naturally, you will see a brotherly love. Now, you need to take that love up to the next level. You need to continue to work on making it more earnest, more deep, and more strong. Every day, as the people of God. That's the call. Well, why do we do this? Why are we supposed to work constantly on this love growing. Isn't it enough? Isn't it enough that we care for one another? We send meals to homes when there's someone who's sick or goes to the hospital or has a child. We put out prayer emails. Like, what more can we do? No, keep working on it. Keep growing in deeper and deeper affection for each other. Why? Verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Why should we grow in this love? Because you have been reborn. You are not of this world anymore, but you are part of the kingdom of God. And it says then this perishable, imperishable comparison. And that's the idea that the kingdom is not temporary, but forever. See, before we were part of the world, this perishable thing that isn't going to last. Now we are part of the kingdom that is going to be eternal and so the continued sense here, because you are reborn into God's kingdom, and it's going to be eternal, you are no longer part of this temporary world with its temporary, short-sighted way of looking at and doing things. And so you need to continuously grow in love. But why? For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter here quotes Isaiah to contrast the frailty of human nature, right? Grass withers, flowers fade to this eternal sense, the permanence of God's word. We have been grafted into something that will outlast the world as we know it. You right now are part of something bigger than the world that you see. And so we need to work on building ourselves up in love so that we more and more look like that kingdom rather than the things of this world. And so here's the final sense. If we put the rest of this chapter one together, here's what Peter really is saying to us. Having grown more in Christ's likeness, due to your salvation through the gospel in Jesus, resulting in brotherly love, now continue to grow that love for one another, more earnest, more deep, and more strong. Why? Because you have been reborn into God's kingdom. And unlike the frailty of things within human nature, God's word and his kingdom is eternal. You are no longer part of how the world does things. Eventually, all of those things will fade, and you will be with God and your brothers and sisters in Christ forever. So start building towards that kingdom now. Don't wait. The, 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 the surface level love that is part of this world isn't something we're ultimately after. We are supposed to be something separate, something bigger, something eternal. And so as his bride, the church, the people that call on the name of Christ, we have to strive to love deeper. And it's never enough. We're never done. We continue to work over and over again on loving one another more deeply, more earnestly, and stronger than we did the day before. Because we are actually building something bigger than this world. We're building towards the kingdom of God. Right? When we get to Revelation and we look at the new Jerusalem and, and all sin is gone and everything is, is perfect and restored to the way that God designed it to be and we are his people and he's with us and we're with him. We're, we're building towards that now. It's not like we're supposed to just sit here and sing the songs and, and read the Bible until he comes and all of a sudden it'll go from here to here. We're building towards something. The Lord is using us as his church, as his people to usher in the reign of God and his kingdom. And so we are to work on that now. We're not just sitting ducks till Jesus comes back. We work now. So how the heck do we do that? How do we seek to love each other more? <laughs> how can we get to that agape love that, that, that gets us to the point where we look far more like the kingdom of God than the kingdom of this world? Because I can tell you, in every church that I've ever worshipped in, served in, attended, visited, there are signs of the earthly, frail, fallen human nature. There are politics in church. There's divisions in church. Right? Those are the things that we are supposed to work on eliminating. So how do we do that? And chapter 2 tells us. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for that pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is what it means to grow in love. All those things, the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander, all those things 
have to completely and utterly die. We've got to get rid of them. There is no room for these things. And, and here's the thing. Those are really hard to get rid of. It's not easy to turn off envy, hypocrisy, slander, malice, and deceit. Every one of us feel these towards somebody or something, probably on a daily basis. Because we want justice and fairness, right? When someone has what we don't have, well, that's not fair. We want it. When someone doesn't treat us right or when, when things don't go the way we want to, well, we're angry because that's not fair. We want it to go our way. But in light of what we just read, because we are part of a bigger kingdom, we actually have the power to put those things away. Because here's the thing. If earth is all there is, then I want everything I'm owed now. Right? I want my best life now. <laughs> Not to make reference to that, that book. Please don't read it. <laughs> but, but that's what I want. If earth is all there is, I, I, I want to I wrong you more if you've wronged me first. But, but I'm not part of this earth. Later on, we'll see Peter say that we're sojourners and aliens here. We don't belong to that. We belong to something bigger. We know that there is an other side of this life. That we will die and be raised alongside of him. And that justice will be served. We don't have to worry about fairness now as much as those who don't live under the hope and reign of Christ. Because God will take care of those things. Yes, this world can treat you unfairly. Yes, this world can cause you harm and pain. But not ultimately. Not in an infinite way. Because at the end of it all, none of those things are going to matter. As he said, those things will fade like the grass and the flowers. It'll just be gone. The things that consume you right now with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, they're not going to matter when you see your Savior face to face. You spend so much time worrying about those things. They're not going to matter. I hear all the time people say, when I die and go to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is ask Jesus, what the heck is up with that? No, you're not. Really? The first thing you are going to do is fall on your face and worship. You're not going to care. That's what enables us to put these things aside because we serve a God who will take care of all those things. He's in the details. He's got you. And so to love, to grow in love to the, to the degree that we are called to, we have to put these things down, even if it doesn't make any sense to us. Man, there's some people who I really, who have wronged me, who I would love to see suffer a little bit. But, but, but we got to put that aside. Why? Because God will deal with them. And he'll deal with them in one of two ways. They will come to know Jesus, and he will deal with them by forgiving them of their sin the same way he's forgiven me. Or they will reject him, and he will deal with them through eternal punishment. One way or another, they are handled. I don't have to worry about it. I get to lay down the anger and the malice and the envy and all those things. We as a people are called to that type of love. Imagine, imagine if we were a church that wasn't marked by any of those things. But rather, we were known as a place that when you came here, there was no room for that. People aren't going to treat you wrongly. They're not going to be envious at what you have. They're going to rejoice with you as your life has causes for celebration. They're going to stand with you as your life has sorrow and sadness. 
They're not going to talk about you behind your back. If you're part of a church, this church or another, and you spend time talking about other people behind their back, stop. Please stop. The Lord calls us to something so much bigger and so much grander. We are to instead long for him. And the, 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 the analogy it gives is a baby for spiritual milk. Now, this is not an analogy of immaturity. This isn't like the milk and the meat. This is, this is an analogy about the level of longing. If you're a parent and you've had a newborn baby, when they don't have their milk, you know. They long for it deeper than anything else. That's the way that we are supposed to long for the kingdom, for his truth, and to long to love deeper and more earnestly and more strongly. And if you've tasted that the Lord is good, if you are his, this will start to become a natural thing. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus here is taking Psalm 118. Uh, Jesus applies that to himself in all, most of the Gospels except for John. And, and there's this phrase, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Right? Peter here is applying that to Christ. He says, as we do the things above, we are being built up by God, to be the kingdom. We are being made into a holy priesthood of believers. Just like Jesus was rejected, the living stone that was rejected by men ends up being the cornerstone. So then he says that we will be the same way. You yourselves are like living stones. And you're being built up as a spiritual house. The Lord is working in the lives of his believers and his bride, the church, to build the kingdom. Like I said earlier, it's not just not there and there. He's building his kingdom up. And you are one of those living stones so that we can do what we're designed to do, to be this holy priesthood of believers, to be a community that is a light to the rest of the world, to say there is a better way, there is something different out there, so that we can offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter here is taking, in verse 6 and then in a second, 7 and 8, he's taking a whole bunch of Old Testament stone prophecies and applying them all to Christ, as we should. Verse 6 is from Isaiah 28. Verse 7 is from Psalm 118, like we just looked at. Verse 8 is from Isaiah 8. He continues to take these, these stone metaphors and talk about how Jesus is the living stone. He is alive. And then he says, in a stone of stumbling in verse 8 and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. See, others, those who are not in Christ, they struggle profoundly because they don't follow God's word. They aren't part of the kingdom. Their trust is in those frail earthly things. They worry about everything. And the decisions they make and the way that they live and act are based on only a frailty that is here one day and gone the next. There's no hope in that. And so because there's no hope in that, there ultimately can't be any love in that. 
And then Peter comes back to the blessings in verse 9. He says, but you, as opposed to those folks who don't know him or walk with him, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And then he reminds us, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Notice the word nation in there. The kingdom isn't individualistic. We're all in this together. The Lord doesn't just build little singular kingdoms of of one person. It's, It's a nation. We talk a lot about nationalism and things that we unite around or are supposed to unite around in the world that we live in today. This is different. This is not a kingdom that is based on any kind of creed, ethnicity, status, geography. This is a kingdom that is only based on Christ himself. And so he promises he is making us into a people. We are chosen by God. We weren't a people before and we are a people now because God has called us together. We didn't live under mercy before, but now we do. Here's where it gets difficult. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He calls us sojourners and exiles. Do you know you were meant to look entirely strange to the world that is outside of the walls of the church? You're supposed to be different. You're not part of this world. You're a refugee. You're temporarily here. This isn't our home. And so he tells us, listen, don't worry about the passions of the flesh those things that draw us in for immediate gratification. That's not what we're up against. You literally are supposed to wage war against those things. And then when you're in the world, treat people well. This is hard because the world doesn't treat us well. Just this week, I was reading about a whole bunch of different things that that the church and Christian organizations and institutions are going to have to really wrestle with and worry about in our country. By any indication, Christians, at least in this country, are being increasingly treated with more hostility every day. The world doesn't treat us well. And so our natural instinct is to then not treat it well in return. Well, we'll fight for what we we want, what we believe. I can't tell you the amount of brothers and sisters that I've seen, whether it's in person, on social media, through protests, the way that we act is very different, or very little different from the way the world acts. So the world doesn't see a distinction, but they ought to. We are called to be bigger than that. So here it gets ultimate. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put silence, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God demands, commands that we follow human institutions of authority. Wow. 
<laughs> I don't know about you, but there's some institutions that are over me right now that I really don't want to follow, and I'm not sure that God is excited about some of these institutions. But he calls us to be under their authority, even when we disagree, with one exception, and you need to understand this verse very clearly. We are never called to obey an authority that directly asks us to sin. If we're forced to choose between obeying God and obeying man, we choose the obedience to God. But beyond that exception, we are to order ourselves under the human institutions of authority that we've been given. That means we follow our government. You may not like the president, but he's your president. I'm really sorry. We are called to order ourselves under that to follow that, to seek for good within the confines of what we've been given as a government, to work within it, to regenerate it, to breathe life into it, but ultimately to follow it, even when it is hard, unless it causes us to sin. And God chose to do it this way because if we do that, if we order our lives under that and we, we are known as people who are obedient and will follow and listen and are not people that cause strife and chaos that we ultimately will put to shame those authorities that don't follow God. That's his way. God's chosen way of ultimately silencing slander is over and over and over again that we, by doing good, should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is hard because when we are silent today in some ways, it doesn't seem to be putting to shame the foolish people, does it? But we're not worried about the immediate. We are in an ultimate kingdom. And ultimately, we trust that when we listen to God's word and we do what he says, he will handle those things. The institutions of human authority in our lives that do not follow God's ways, they will be dealt with. It is not on your shoulders to reverse the course of this nation or any other nation. You play a role, and yes, we are to breathe life and to bring the things of Christ into this world and be a beacon of hope and light and seek change where we're able to in a way that edifies and glorifies him. But in the end, listen, you are not responsible for changing the course of this country. You're not. God will take care of it. If we live into him and we press into him and we follow him and we walk with him and we are obedient to his word, it'll be taken care of. Take that burden off. Take off the burden of having to proclaim or, or denounce every false thing you see on social media, having to get into the comment wars with people because something that was untrue was said and you just have to have it be right and right there and then. No. Instead, focus on being winsome. And then finally, he says this, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the emperor. Peter here hints at a definition of freedom that we don't often think of. I think we, we think of freedom as, as a libertarian type of word that means we can do whatever it is that we want to do. Right? We want to be free. Don't tell me what to do. The problem is that freedom doesn't actually mean that you get to do whatever you want. Freedom is about being able to live most the way that you were designed to live. When the Lord, when Jesus goes to the cross, 
and dies for our sins so that, so that the, the, the Satan no longer rules, but he does. And ultimately, when he returns and he removes sin from our lives, he is, what he's doing is he is removing the shackles that prevent us from living most of the way that we are designed to live. Freedom means living in every way the way that God designed us to live. He made you to be a certain way, to think a certain way, to have the creation ordered in a certain way. And true freedom is not doing whatever you want, but that sin would be removed from your heart more and more, that you would conform to what God wants. That's what freedom is. And so he says, live as those people that are free. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear your God, but honor those institutions. And when we do that, ultimately, he will take care of us. Our series is called Stand Firm because we're looking for the way that we can stand firm in the world today. We see the ugliness around us. We see the hard things, the debates. We see this country going in a direction we don't want it to go. We've seen that over and over again. By the way, for those that are worried, this isn't new. History is cyclical. Countries have risen and fallen, and they'll continue to do so. But God's word will stand forever. We can stand firm in love because God first loved us. Love is the primary way that we accomplish change in the world. When we begin to be a people that have a love that is unlike anything the world has ever seen, and we go out and we allow people to see it, or people come here and we allow them to experience it, it will trump everything that you've known before. They will be wondering what it is that brings us to that kind of love, and then we'll tell them. And believe me, people will come to know the Lord, and his kingdom will grow, and his kingdom will rule and reign forever. When everything in your mind that you're worried about right now is long gone, his kingdom will still stand. And we'll be together. And hopefully by then we'll have figured out how to love one another the way that Christ loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the way that it shapes us and changes us. We thank you for the transformative power that your word has over us, your people. Father, this morning we pray that you would allow our church to grow more and more deeply in love. We pray that all the things that hinder would fade away. Father, we each pray specifically just in a moment of silence for the things that that worry us, for the malice and the anger and the deceit that is in our hearts right now. We take a moment of silence to pray that you would remove those things, that you would take them from us. Move us towards being a people of love. We thank you for this church and the love and affection that we have through it, the people that we've come to know that in many ways are a rock, the countless visitations and cards and and phone calls and texts and emails and, and encouragements that we've received over the years of being a part of this church. 
We thank you that you've given us this body of people. Be with us this week as we go out to seek to love in the way that you call us to. And we we pray that people would see it and be shaped by it and changed by it and that they would come to know you. We love you and we praise you. And all his people said, amen.